Okay, so thank you very much for inviting me um, along today. I'm Rachel Brooks from the University of Surrey, and um, the research I'm going to be talking about, don't, don't worry, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, as Camille said, it was funded by the NUS and the Leadership Foundation for um, Higher Education, and we produced um, a report which was published in April, but today I'm just going to be talking about some of the findings from the report, um, not the report um, as a whole. And I'm also quite sure of the audience, so I've taken a slightly academic take on some of the, the findings. So um, hopefully that will be of, of interest um, to, to you. So a little bit of background um, to start with. Um, when we started this project, so I did a literature search, I was quite surprised at the um, little amount of academic research that has been done on student unions, particularly in the UK. I think the position is slightly different in um, America and perhaps continental Europe as well. But given the increasingly important place of student unions in the UK, I do think it has been um, an under-researched topic. So it was great that we got some funding um, to, to do this piece of work. And as I'm saying, it was the research that we did for the NUS and the Leadership Foundation um, that was conducted um, between October 2012 and the end of December um, last year. I should say, though, that... Um, the take on the data that I'm going to give today is very much um, my own and, and Catherine and Kate's, and, and Jim may disagree with some of my analysis, but um, it's, it's based on the findings of, of the report that we conducted. And I suppose for today's purpose, the, um, the findings that I'm going to be talking about um, are going to be situated with, within two bodies of academic um, literature. The first, which relates to um, voice and influence amongst students and young people, how this is articulated, what we mean by voice, um, and secondly, how we go about theorising student representation, and I'm going to say a bit more about both those um, topics um, now, so um, don't worry if that doesn't um, mean a lot to you. So first of all, the first body, the, the body of literature about um, voice. Now, um, if we look at um, social policy generally, I think, over the past decade, um, there have been lots of initiatives, I think, to um, give voice to young people, both in formal contexts, such as schools um, and universities, and also um, more informally, um, too. Um, but I think, actually, a lot of these initiatives have been subject um, to quite significant um, criticism within the um, academic literature. Um, for failing to um, facilitate really genuine and democratic um, political expression. And the work of Wood um, is a good example of this, um, writing in 2012 in relation to um, um, schools councils, for example, she argued, young people's political expressions largely remain contained within adult-defined and school-regulated notions of acceptable political action. Many participatory opportunities offered to students mimic adult conceptions of the political with the aim of equipping them for their future role as citizens. Um, and so she suggests that within schools, young people have quite a liminal status as political beings, largely because of this emphasis on them as becomings of the future rather than um, the present. And I think similar arguments have been made with respect to youth councils um, more generally, so ones that aren't based in schools. Um, it's been argued that they're often not representative of young people in general and with disadvantaged young people in particular less likely to um, be involved. And um, an example of this, this kind of literature is a study by Taft and Gordon um, in, published in 2013 um, with politically engaged young people who had either left or refused to join a youth council. And their respondents believed that such councils often acted to tame youth dissent 
rather than provide opportunities to foster youth political power. And for this reason, we're often seen by them as a kind of mode of, of social control. These young people in their study wanted to have authority and make an impact and believed that the councils offered them merely a voice. So here voice is quite sort of separated from actually affecting change um, in, in the kind of community. And then if we turn to the higher education sector, we can see similar types of argument um, being made. So for example, Louise Morley has talked about what she calls the <coughs> domestication of the um, student voice. And, and she links this to kind of um, the way in which students have increasingly become seen as, as co um, consumers. Um, and although students have become good at standing up for their rights, uh, she argues that democracy has been come to be understood in economic rather than political terms because of this kind of broader construction of the student as um, a consumer. Um, and there's a, a Joanna Williams um, has made a similar argument, so there's quite a nice quotation from her. She says, today's active campaigning students who are heralded as angels of change within their institutions are quick to learn the bureaucratic language of agenda items, assessment patterns, learning outcomes and programme monitoring, and are more likely to be found sitting on staff student liaison committees and on picket lines. This domestication of the student voice and limiting of campaigning confirms the consumer identity of students rather than changing it. But I suppose a slightly different perspective in the academic literature comes from um, Crossley and Ibrahim, and they argue that actually student unions in particular um, play a really important role in the politicisation of, of young people. And they argue this is for two main reasons. Firstly, universities provide critical mass. So unlike perhaps schools or colleges, and by bringing lots of people together, you're more likely to find other people who have political interests and are politically engaged. But they also argue that student unions play quite an important role in resource mobilisation. So for young people who have a political interest, giving them a space to meet and other resources that can help them um, with uh, developing their political engagement um, they can be successful, successful in bringing other young people in the university um, in, into kind of political engagement through the social networks it facilitates. So that's just a kind of summary of kind of the, some of the kind of background um, literature on, on student voice. If we turn to um, representation, um, again I think there's surprisingly little, little work um, that has been done on this. Um, but there's quite an interesting paper by Rogers et al, where they um, set out kind of what we mean by representation. They talk about a, a pyramid, and this might be a kind of framework with which you're familiar, um, from kind of high-level representation with the BC and other senior managers at the top of the institution, um, down to um, course reps um, representing their fellow students on, on course, the course boards and such like. And I suppose the literature has talked about um, how student representation has changed um, really from the, from the 1960s onwards. Um, in the 1960s, um, in response to student protests, many universities in the UK and um, in, in um, the US, Western Europe and parts of the British Commonwealth, um, becoming more democratic, involving more students um, in their decision-making processes as a response to those protests. But I suppose the literature has, has argued that during the 1980s and 90s, um, this kind of student representation fell away to some extent as um, universities adopted more um, managerial um, approaches. And I suppose in um, helping to make sense of the ways in which student representation um, is conceptualised um, by relevant stakeholders and, and academics, 
Um, this typology that was published last year by um, Lucian Lamashela, I think that's pronounced his name, um, I, th I found it very useful. And he talks about these, these four different ways in which student representation um, can be understood. So the first one is the politically realist case. And so here, um, student representation in university decision-making is considered a matter of real politics. So, so getting students on board so they're kind of part of the, the institution and, and not criticising from, from outside. He secondly talks about the kind of consumerist case. Here, this is based on the premise that students are consumers of the products provided by universities and as such should have input in the decisions that are made about them. Thirdly, the communitarian case. This conceptualises students not as consumers, but as members of a collectivity engaged in the educational process. And so here, student representation is justified um, simply by students being part of the wider community. And then finally, the democratic case. Here, student representation is understood as a means to which, um, uh, to, as a means to further citizenship education, um, inculcating democratic values amongst um, the wider student body. So this is, a, this is a kind of typology that I'll come back to um, at the end, but I think it was one of the few pieces of literature that I came across that, that was really trying to understand what representation means and in the different ways it's been understood. So just a little bit about um, the, the research methods um, that we used. Um, Firstly, we conducted an online survey of students' unions officers, and some of you may have filled in this, so thank you very much. Um, we had 176 um, responses. There are a few more people who kind of started the survey but didn't really fill in many questions until we were able to use their data, but 176 responses that, that we did use. And then on the basis of the kind of patterns um, from, from the survey, we chose 10 case study institutions across the UK um, to conduct focus groups in. And in each of those institutions, we conducted one focus group with senior managers. Um, and we conducted um, one focus group with um, students' union officers. And um, we had 88 people in total were involved in that, that stage of the research. And then finally, we conducted four additional um, focus groups, which were role-specific. Um, with particular groups of officers. So we did one focus group with presidents, one with um, education officers, one with welfare officers, and one with um, activities officers. And um, I can say more about the research methods um, in the question session at the end, if, if you would like me to. But really, I want to get onto some of our um, key findings. And as I said, um, this is just a kind of a segment of what we talk about in the, in the broader report, but um, findings that I think are both interesting and, and quite important. And there are three that I want to talk about this afternoon. Firstly, the centrality of the representative function of students' unions. Secondly, the increasing importance of non-elected members. And thirdly, the nature of changing relationships um, with, with senior management. So I'm going to say a little bit about each of those, and then I'm going to think about what the implications of these findings um, are for, for the kind of um, the academic debates that I outlined at the start. So if we start with the centrality of, of the representative um, function, and um, if you have a look at our, our report, um, you'll, this will probably kind of um, not be too surprising to you, but we found out that when we asked students' unions about all the <coughs> things that they did, and there was a broad range of things that they did, obviously, um, this was the role that was most commonly carried out um, by students' unions. 
It was also the role that the greatest number of our respondents thought was most important when they're thinking about the kind of, you know, the role of the students' union as a whole. And then when we asked individuals about their individual contributions, um, it was also something that they felt was most important. So 40 of our 62 survey respondents who answered, answered this particular question um, thought that representation was um, the most important part of their, their individual roles. And for this part of the survey, we used the typology that the NUS, I believe, um, uses, where we split the roles into four functions, a representative function, an activist function, a minister function, and a trustee function. And we asked about the relative importance of those. And the vast majority of our respondents felt that, that the representative function was the most important. And um, the activist role was... Um, relatively unimportant um, to, to, to those in the study. Um, only 10 of the 62 people who answered that question thought that the activist role was, was most important. Um, and I think when we asked, asked respondents about, you know, kind of um, why, what were some of the kind of underlying reasons why they thought the representative um, function was, was most important, um, it was explained largely with reference to external um, pressures. Um, so some, in, in some kind of accounts, this was constructed very positively. So this is a quotation that, that illustrates this. Um, one of the senior managers in one of the focus groups said, the change in the fee regime has been very expensive for students, but it has brought them into the governance structures far more strongly. I think there's a real tendency in all institutions now to take the student voice more seriously. And I think that's partly to do with fees and partly to do with league tabling. There's been a step change in the way in which universities listen um, to, to students. So a kind of um, very positive take on this increasing importance of the representative <coughs> function. But I think it was also interesting that on the part of both senior managers and student union officers themselves, there was a concern that this was starting to limit the influence of the students' union. And again, this is it's quite interesting, I think, that this quotation is from senior managers um, who are expressing <coughs> this concern. So they said... I think what we're probably articulating is a pattern where the student union influence on the university has just eroded and eroded and eroded and has been distilled down to this kind of pivotal role around representation and so on. And that just leads to all the questions around, you know, what it's there for, what it's doing, and that kind of thing, and so on. So, so some senior managers were saying this is a very positive change. Others were expressing some concerns um, about um, its, its impact. The second change I want to talk about is the um, increasing importance of um, non-elected um, members um, within students' unions. And I suppose um, across many of the, the, the institutions that, that we looked at, both student union officers and senior managers talked about some kind of shift of power towards um, permanent staff. So uh, people on um, long-term contracts within student unions who weren't elected by the wider student body. And again, this was often constructed in a very positive way. So the argument was that you know this helped the union develop a much longer-term strategic <coughs> vision, a more coherent agenda. They developed knowledge of the institution, therefore were more able to influence what was um, going on. And this is a quotation that illustrates that. So there's a better quality of conversation going on, I think, in committees because they're better briefed and they, you know, they're uh, told not to ride a hobby horse that's, uh, that's going to get them nowhere, and they're given strategies for achieving what they're trying to achieve. 
So the quality of their contribution to the governance system, I think, has gone up. So here they're talking about um, permanent members of staff briefing um, elected officers in a lot of detail before they sit on committees um, to help them form their line and, and that kind of thing. But again, um, not all of our respondents were very comfortable with this change that, that many of them talked about. Um, and so um, some of them um, argued that it made it harder for those in elected roles to advance their own agenda because they felt, you know, compared to permanent members of staff who had this, all this knowledge, um, it was difficult for them to have the confidence to articulate their concerns and their voice. And again, this was interestingly articulated by senior managers as well as union staff. So um, here, I know that some elected officers have found it difficult challenging the students' union senior leadership team, who have naturally all come from leadership roles and the leaders themselves, to say actually, this is the representational voice of students, and this is the direction um, we'd like to, to go, please. And so, again, a fairly um, uh, ambivalent, to some extent, um, analysis of these kinds of changes, with some saying that um, it was leading to kind of, you know, a, a stronger voice and more strategic voice, and others concerns that actually the elected voice, the democratic mandate of the students, was being um, compromised to some extent. So that takes me to my third theme, and I suppose the other two kinds of you know, feed into this, um, relationships with um, senior management um, more generally. And a common theme across the survey and the focus groups was um, a new willingness on both sides to engage in constructive um, ways. Um, and this change, as like with many of the other changes, um, was typically explained by pointing to changes in the external environment particularly the increase in tuition fees, um, which I've talked about, but also um, the insertion of the question about the performance of students' unions into the National Student Survey. Um, so student union officers at um, one of our case study um, institutions talked about um, um, senior managers in their institution know they have to respond to the customers. Um, while um, senior managers at, a, at another uh, institution stated explicitly that the students' union had become increasingly important because of the emphasis that had come to be placed on the student voice, um, particularly in the NSS, and um, as that fed through um, into to league tables. And so many of our respondents talked about these external changes having brought about a, a, a difference in senior managers' perspectives, but it was also argued by many of our respondents that there'd been a similar degree of change in relation to the perspectives of um, student unions um, too. So one of our senior managers talked about um, the union at, at their institution now having a culture of working with the institution rather than seeing it as their role just to constantly be pointing out failings. And that was kind of a, a common comment um, from many of um, the respondents. Um, and I think it's in part likely to be related to the increasing importance of the representative function that I've just been talking about, and perhaps also the increasing importance of permanent members of staff um, within the students' union. But I think it can also be seen as a response by student unions to some of the same pressures that have affected institutional managers, um, particularly the explicit measurement of performance through the NSS and perhaps an expectation on the part of students paying higher fees that those in power, whether they're senior institutional managers or elected representatives, will work cooperatively to achieve change in the university environment in an efficient manner. And it was argued by some of our respondents that both groups, so senior managers and student unions officers, 
now had a vested interest in working together to heighten the reputation um, of the institution. And the concept of kind of reputational damage was talked about by um, both senior managers and union officials as something that, that perhaps um, that had brought them together, this concern to present their institution um, in the best possible way to the external market, but perhaps also to the kind of internal customers who might be judging um, both sides in a kind of um, similar way. Um, we also asked in the survey about the kind of locus of power. Where does power um, reside um, in the institution? And um, I think um, over half of our survey respondents did feel that they had some influence over the decisions of um, senior uh, managers, um, which, you know, that they, they saw a positive light and thought that actually probably they did have more power now than in the past. Um, but ultimately, I think, most of our respondents did think that, 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 that power really ultimately lay, lay elsewhere. Um, so quite a few of them talked about how decisions were made outside of meetings, that the level of debate in the committee meetings was great, but often they felt decisions were made outside of them. Several talked about the kind of um, dependency they felt that was reinforced um, by the way in which they were funded, the kind of block grant from the institution, that actually that, um, despite kind of the rhetoric about student voice, they felt quite limited um, by that um, dependent relationship. And interestingly, I think, um, quite a few of our respondents talked about how initiatives that they felt they had agreed with senior managers could sometimes <coughs> be blocked by other power bases um, within um, the, the institution. So um, how heads of department, academic staff, and heads of faculties could sometimes block um, the senior manager's um, agenda, which had been agreed with, with the student union. And I think um, there was also some resentment, um, and it, this is a kind of minority of cases, I think, but how senior managers used um, the students' union sometimes to bring about um, change. Um, because of the power that people felt was attached to the student voice, this was often used kind of as an excuse to bring about change that they wanted to anyway with other groups of staff within the institution. I thought this was quite a nice quotation which sums it up here. It's really poor management when the middle management have to, you know, maybe introduce an unpopular decision with the academic workforce and they will say, oh, the union are making us do that. Well, no, it's your senior management team who have adopted that policy. So sometimes the officers are viewed with a distrust or a hostility, even from the academics. It's probably unnecessary. And that wasn't the only institution where that kind of um, view um, came from. So I've outlined the kind of three of the themes from, from the research, there are many more, but three of I wanted to, to pull out today. And I wanted to think about their implications, really, um, for the, the wider body of, of academic literature. So firstly, um, going back to kind of um, points about student voice and influence. And I think the strong evidence of the increased focus on the representative role of student unions and the importance that was attributed to this by many respondents provide some support for arguments which I talked about earlier about um, the domestication of, of the student voice. I think by focusing on representation, students' unions' officers inevitably foreground issues that affect the day-to-day -day lives of students, rather than perhaps broader political or social concerns that may be more aligned with an activist agenda. And I think also the increasing convergence between the values and priorities of students' unions and those of senior management as a result of similar pressures on um, both parties suggests that fewer spaces may now be available within higher education 
from which to offer a radical challenge to either local or, or national policy. Um, and I think that the study suggests um, that while students' unions may provide an important space within higher education institutions for like-minded people to get together and pursue collaborative projects, the research didn't really provide much evidence to support Crossley and Ibrahim's thesis that they play a significant role in facilitating political engagement or inculcating a more kind of activist orientation. Um, so our data suggests that Students' unions were important for bringing students together, but typically for the, the purposes of representing other students or and or delivering services um, and events within um, the, the wider um, institution. And so it seems that student voice was articulated primarily in relation to concerns about the student experience rather than any more political agendas. And I think the increasingly powerful role of permanent members of staff um, also raises questions about their thesis, um, as elective officers in some of our institutions um, came to have less contact with senior managers, um, and strategic priorities seem to be increasingly shaped, again, in some institutions, not all, by those um, who had less of a democratic um, mandate. mandate. Um, and I think also, you know, although many of them did say that they had um, some influence, um, in terms of thinking about the student voice, they also articulated quite important limits to this influence that I've just talked about. So um, um, the blocking of um, decisions by staff at, at lower levels of the institution, the increasing importance of permanent members of staff, and perhaps also this focus on local issues, um, which is being brought about by the, the wider higher education context. If then we go back to think about that kind of typology of representation um, that I talked about um, at the start, um, I think there's really very little evidence to, to support the, the kind of democratic or communitarian um, cases um, because it didn't seem that you know, student unions were seen by the broader institution as part of this kind of democratic project of, of democratic education, although I'm sure the NUS has a, a different view on that. Um, and they also didn't seem to be kind of um, representative, um, representative um, because the people in the institution saw them as kind of one collective. Um, very different um, roles were identified by most of our um, respondents. Um, and they, I think they certainly weren't seen as equal members of the, the university community. Instead, I think that the project data offers support to both the politically realist um, case and the consumerist case. And while um, in Musha um, and Michelle's typology, these two cases are seen as conceptually and practically distinct, I think our data suggests that in some contexts and points in time, they shouldn't be seen as mutually exclusive, but as mutually reinforcing. And it seems likely that in a higher education sector that's market-based and consumer-orientated, um, this would promote both a consumerist case for representation and a politically realist one, as within highly competitive and consumer-led markets, disgruntled and vociferous students can inflict significant harm to institutional reputation and recruitment. And indeed, our data suggests that student representation was viewed by senior staff, as well as student union officers themselves, as an effective means of both responding to the demands of students, um, conceived largely as consumers, and reducing the risk of damaging conflicts emerging between different constituent groups um, on campus. Now, 
I think the typology that is discussed in, in, in this article is predicated on the notion um, that student leaders and those of uh, the leaders of universities are different and that they have um, um, diff significantly different interests. So even the com communitarian case, um, which places emphasis on a single community, um, notes that different stakeholders um, bring different resources, perspectives and priorities. But I think the response to our survey and our focus groups um, suggests that in the con contemporary manifestation of the university, both student unions and senior managers are subject to very similar market-based pressures, which give rise, in many cases, to very similar concerns. The example that was referred to uh, most often by our respondents was that of the insertion into the National Student Survey of a question about the performance of um, the students' union, um, and responses of which feed into institutional rankings and, and league table positions, and also specific rankings of student unions across the country. And while this could be viewed as licensed for student unions to be more vociferous in um, pushing student concerns as a means of securing the approval of the wider student population, our data would suggest that it has the opposite effect and perhaps increased partnership working um, with, with senior management. So to conclude, um, hopefully I've outlined in the presentation three ways in which our respondents felt student unions had changed um, over, over recent years. And in many ways, these changes can be interpreted in a very positive light. Um, it's clearly important that students are represented effectively within their institutions, and many unions have devoted significant time and energy to ensuring that the student voice is heard loudly on campus. Moreover, the increasing importance of permanent members of staff can be seen as part of an attempt on the part of unions to develop longer-term strategies for achieving change. But on the basis of our evidence, um, we suggested that an ostensibly close relationship between student unions um, and senior management often belies enduring inequalities in power. So while senior managers may be offering student unions more of a voice within institutional governance structures than in the past, wider sectoral pressures, um, particularly new performance measures for students' unions articulated through the NSS, may, we would argue, be limiting the capacity of unions to take up more questioning, critical and activist positions. Finally, we've argued that the increasing emphasis on student representation evident across our data set should not be seen as necessarily in tension with the managerialist imperatives of the neoliberal university. Instead, we've suggested that if such representation is conceptualised through consumerist and political realist lenses, it can be seen as entirely consonant with the marketised nature of contemporary higher education. Thank you.